promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and KPMG. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here is Matt Cabry. Tony Bartolomeo, CEO of Pannoni. Thanks for joining us on Growing Greater Philadelphia. Thrilled to have you, Tone. I want to talk a little bit about your career and the work that happens at Pannoni, which is one of the leading engineering firms in Greater Philadelphia. But let's start with the story of Tony. You're native not to Greater Philadelphia. Sure. I uh, was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Went to Brooklyn Technical High School, pre-engineering high school, public school. And I attended civil engineering school at the University of Pennsylvania, and I never went back to New York. I've been in this region since then. And it's very attractive and very exciting, very comfortable as well, all at the same time. Your college education, that's what brought you to Greater Philadelphia. Yes. And not unlike many situations, you found a home here. We're thrilled about that, by the way, because then we wouldn't have had a chance to interact and have our career paths interact as well and intersect. Tone, one of the reasons I mention that is because I'm very cognizant of how we tell our story in Greater Philadelphia. And I've found that oftentimes it's those of us who are not native to Greater Philadelphia that see the positivity, that see the optimism that many of us who are native to Greater Philadelphia have not yet embraced. I often say that native Philadelphians sometimes can be our own worst enemies because they hold us back a little bit in the sense that they are glass half empty. And I see that changing more and more, in part because of professionals like yourself who have come from outside the community, made this region their home, and bring with them a sense of can-do, a sense of optimism, a sense of what could be, and you're delivering on that as well. Yeah, I know it's also an advantage for Pannoni is we go from New York down to Florida, and so We have opportunities and projects and colleagues in many of those states, and we get to learn where some opportunities could be developed in each of the areas from other areas where we're applying our engineering services. So we learn things, and we try to spread it across our footprint to the benefit of the communities where we live, work, and support great organizations. Pannoni is a homegrown success story. I think celebrating uh, 52 years. Congratulations on a great anniversary. Tell us a little bit more about Pannoni, the type of work your team is focused on. You mentioned your spread is from really Florida to New York. I suspect you have operations or at least projects that may take you beyond uh, those communities. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the history of Pannoni and where you're going next. The firm was started by Chuck Pannoni as a one-person structural engineering firm in 1966. And the strategy for growth was do good work, and if other opportunities arise beyond structural engineering, let's service the client for those particular needs in engineering and grow the firm that way. And we were very successful over the years of adding certain technologies, disciplines, then geographic locations, and getting into different areas of engineering as time went by. And right now, we're a strong civil infrastructure engineering firm and cover every aspect of infrastructure from transportation, energy, building systems, water resources, environmental, surveying, 3D visualization, just a a number of areas where we practice and we're able to integrate them all very effectively internally for servicing a client's needs. 
Your team has worked on a variety of projects, I suspect hundreds over the years. Is there one or two that stand out for you? Could be one from this past year, could be one from 10 years ago that really stand out for you of a project that you're most proud of? Well, one, because I love baseball, is the Philadelphia Phillies ballpark, Citizens Bank Park. We were the civil engineers for that ballpark, which is going on 12, 15 years old now, I think. And what was exciting about it was the pride we took in being part of that team. And when people see the ballpark, their understanding of what a civil engineer does has to be explained in a certain way. And the way I do it is imagine this beautiful ballpark. You can see it. A three-dimensional ballpark floating in space. Civil engineers make it such that when that ballpark lands, it plugs in and it works. And what that goes to are utilities, stormwater management, grading, ingress and egress, both vehicle and pedestrian, utility relocation, streets had to be closed down and all utilities relocated for it to be able to land. Now, a fascinating aspect of that park is the field is 15 feet below street level and the groundwater table is like 12 feet below street level. So we had to design a groundwater suppression and pumping system in order to keep the water table below the field and it goes out to the storm drain and out to the river. But we have backup generators, emergency pumping systems, such that if everything we designed failed, the field would be a couple of feet underwater. But there was the architectural aspect to having people walk in at street level and look down onto the playing field, and also for dispersion of the crowd. Maybe half the people go up to their seats, half the people descend down to their seats. But it's a feature in a ballpark that the architects certainly apply in many, many places. In fact, the Philadelphia Eagles Stadium is constructed where the field is at street level. But if you've been there, you cannot set eyes on the field until you elevate, escalate, or walk up steps to a certain level. And then when you actually can see the field, you're looking down into the bowl, into the field. Interesting. And it's one of those uh, observations, whether you're at Citizens Bank Park or Lincoln Financial Field, where the average observer may not necessarily appreciate. You're looking through a really unique lens. And what it strikes me about that is um, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of technology that goes into how an engineer like you and your team are looking at a project like a ballpark and your description earlier of sea level and below sea level and the water systems that have to be in place as a result of that. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about the innovation that goes into engineering and how it's evolved over time because it's truly remarkable. Matt, the way I look at that is we are in engineering services business. We practice engineering. We also are in the digital engineering services business, and we're also in the digital services business. And the way that flows, the way we see it, is engineering services have been tried and true and proven for centuries now, right? They get built, they get designed, constructed, operated, maintained. Well, now, as you can see here at Penovation, the impact that the digital world is having on all of us, and even in our profession, we are moving into the digital arena and have for a number of years in engineering services. For instance, automation of calculations, where it may have taken three people five workdays each to do a particular task. Now a machine can learn how to do it, and you can cut that down to 
for hours. And that's the digitalization of our practice. And it's happening, and it will continue to happen. And what firms like ours look for, where are their opportunities to get into digital engineering services and, in fact, get into digital services that may not be directly related to engineering? For instance, we're here, and we saw upstairs the drone lab. People move away from the term of drones because of the connotations of they generally have a missile attached to them. So it's unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, or UASs, unmanned aerial systems. So what the more typical use of such a UAV is to have an HD camera on it and go ahead and fly around and be eyes. And if you have a, a sensor for ears on it as well. What we in engineering use these things for is just simply a platform. The value of that platform, that mobile platform, that aerial platform, is what can you mount to it to create data, gather information that would be useful for us to convert to knowledge to make a better informed decision by the owner of the infrastructure. For instance, if you can have a UAV fly over and under a bridge structure one of the devices you can put on it is an infrared camera. Another you can put on it is something called LIDAR. It's laser, kind of a scanning for accuracy. So you can have different data streams collected by the instruments you place on the UAV, where the UAV is simply a vehicle to transport your data collection devices to get data and information. And it's really important to do this because it helps in the application of innovative technologies and analytics in our business. That's what I'm saying. We're going from engineering services to digital engineering services. So the use of a device to collect data that you were describing helps you not only with designing a project, but also what will happen in that structure that you're also designing. Yes, that's one thing you can embed, but there are also now sensor technologies that more often people are requiring to be put on new structures, be they a water main system, sensors that can detect where leaks are occurring or starting small. See, the earlier you can detect a problem, the less expensive it'll be to intervene and repair the problem or correct the problem. And one of the key elements in our society is being able to do more with the resources being made available by governments, federal, state, local, private sector investors and public-private partnerships. The ASCE has done a report card on our nation's infrastructure for a while now, every four years. And the latest one, we improved our grade from the one before from a D to a D plus on our nation's infrastructure, which includes airports, seaports, water systems, wastewater systems, energy, transportation, bridges, tunnels. So we're not in the shape we need to be on infrastructure. Right. So while we've improved, we're still far from where we need to be. Sure. And when you look at the linkage between health, safety, quality of life, economic development to our infrastructure systems, it's pretty significant, right? So that's why as civil engineers, we understand the linkage and the value and the importance. So we're coming up with approaches where everyone knows we need more money. So, okay, that's great. What are we going to do with the money we do have, the resources we do have? And at ASCE, we developed an approach to optimize 
the spending of these resources to be able to get more value from them. And it incorporates some basic elements. One is consider when you're making a decision on a capital project or even an operation and maintenance project, consider the life cycle cost of that project versus just the initial capital cost, for instance. The initial capital cost is probably 20% or less of the life cycle cost. There are instances where if you spend more money up front on a, a bridge that is going to last 50 years, you can reduce your operation and maintenance expenses to more than pay for that additional cost up front to build a more durable material on your deck or you know use a certain kind of steel in order to strengthen it and allow more efficient operations over time. So you could get more done over a life cycle in our nation's infrastructure if you took that into consideration, the cost in your decision-making. Another issue that's very critical is resiliency in infrastructure. And we've seen through hurricanes and storms, like more locally a superstorm Sandy that hit uh, New Jersey and New York, there were facilities that were not as resilient as they could be. So what is resiliency? It's an infrastructure system, ability to resist, respond to, and recover from a natural or man-made disaster. So life safety is paramount, but then how do you rebound from being hit with such a disaster? And the quicker you can get back up and running, the less costly it'll be for you in your life cycle. And the more productive you'll be as a company, an organization, because you don't have that extended downtime. Like in New York, there were situations where the emergency generators were on the mezzanine level, but the fuel tanks were in the basement, which was flooded. So that system was not as resilient as I trust it they will be designed from this point on. Moving forward, that's right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We had talked um, about a D-plus rating for the national infrastructure in the U.S. How does that translate to the greater Philadelphia region? Is our infrastructure here, while I know we can talk about how robust it is in terms of various aspects, but is it where it needs to be and do we have room for improvement? And I guess where I'm going with this, Tone, is we have really dynamic access to things that most of us take for granted, rail, ports, air, even more and more and more, we're talking about pipelines and we're talking about electricity and the cost and accessibility of electricity service. We're also talking about access to digital tools and assets with wireless communications and how robust that is here. Without putting you on the spot, are, are we at a D plus uh, for greater Philadelphia as well? Or are there areas where we're stronger and areas where we need improvement like bridges and things like that? I know is a point of concern for many. I don't have it offhand, but I believe there is a, a report card. ASC broke report cards down by state, and I don't know if they got down to the regional level. But in this region, when you look at it and look at some of the traffic congestion issues we face, and the cost of congestion is significant in this country. So right now we have commutes and rush hour both ways, coming into the city from the west and going out to King of Pressure from the east. And there is no reliable time where you can say, okay, if I wait until 10 a.m., I can get from Philly to the Turnpike hike in 15 or 20 minutes. You don't know what will happen because of the congestion. An accident takes a lane out, you're backed up for miles, right? So I think that we are looking in the region. I know Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission looks at this very deeply, and I think they do a great job on public transit, on commuters, 
on our road system's uh, capacity, capabilities. I know PennDOT works on turning our systems into as smart as they could right now, and they're going to do nothing but get smarter, our transportation systems and smart grids. We're so fortunate in this region not to experience too many brownouts. Um, when, when you look at some other areas of the country, the brownouts are not infrequent. Okay, And we're also very blessed to have such tremendous water systems for water supply. In others, water is such a precious commodity. We don't have that problem here. So I think we have a sound transportation system that if we can work out some of the issues associated with congestion, will make it even better because the economic development part of this, you know, one of the uh, reasons for the great expansion of our ports here in the region is access, right, to so many millions of people within an eight-hour drive. Can you imagine if in some areas the containers get off a ship, loaded onto a truck, and they're stuck in traffic? And it really cuts down on the advantage they have of being geographically where they're located. Here, we don't have that as prominent of a problem, but it could be made better. And I think that will make us even more competitive and maybe expand the radius and population we can reach if we had an even better freight transportation system, be it rail or truck. So those are all things that impact our economy significantly, and they tie back right to infrastructure efficiency. Absolutely. And it's one of the things we talk about frequently at Select Greater Philadelphia, where we position Greater Philadelphia as a true gateway for companies to come into the U.S. and use this as a distribution channel. And frankly, just the opposite. Companies who want to establish operations somewhere on the East Coast, doing it here in greater Philadelphia and using our ports to reach markets in Europe and Asia and South America, it truly is a great infrastructure system that we have in place and can only get better. Tone, I want to shift just for a second and ask, did we cover some of these? Because I know I didn't ask these questions exactly, but the engineering profession working with you know this private public sector collaboration. You know, I love this, you know, the partnership that we have to have with the public sector and the private sector to bring about positive change and the innovation that we're seeing there. If you could talk a little bit about that, that would be really helpful. I'll tell you, I can speak to that point, Matt, where we hear a lot these days about they call P3s, public-private partnerships. And that could take many forms, but what it's mostly referring to when they're portraying a P3 now is generally infrastructure partnership between a government sponsor and a private investor, an equity investor. They call them concessionaires, for instance. So as an example, if you're going to build a new bridge and you want to enter into this arrangement, it's most attractive if you can toll the bridge so that the toll revenue can pay the investor back over time. But generally what it involves is signing an agreement where the public sector puts up the land, for instance, and then we'll sign an agreement so the private investor could get the return over time. But they'll also require the private investor to design, build, operate, maintain that bridge for, say, 30 years. And in those 30 years, the private investor says, this is the kind of return I need. How am I going to get it? Well, we're going to do these tolls. We do studies as to how much traffic we can expect and so on and so on. So that's ideally how it works. And then after 30 years, the private investor turns the asset over back to the public entity, and then they own and operate it going forward. Now, what my personal feeling is we need more funding in the infrastructure arena 
in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey, they both passed legislation in the past couple of years generating additional billions of dollars for state transportation work, which is terrific because on the public-private partnership, they're financing, the private entities coming and financing that project. And there's a difference between funding and financing. Gotcha. If I say, I will give you $100, that's funding. If I say, Matt, I'll loan you $100, that's financing. Right. You have to pay it back. Right. So I think there, there needs to be more public funding of infrastructure in order to make it more attractive for the private investor to come in with a certain balance of funding financing. I don't know where that's going at the national level. There's been a big push both under President Obama and President Trump to have more private money brought into infrastructure, the P3 arena. Mm -hmm. I don't see it getting a significant amount of traction right now, but that's where the objective is to get more of the financing in place. But there has to be a good enough rate of return for the financiers to come in to participate. And in that spirit, Tone, do we expect or see some sort of innovative approach that could be implemented, that's on the table, that you know folks aren't really embracing yet, or do we need to continue to think creatively about what would attract more private investors? Well, time is money, and I think one of the things that both President Obama and President Trump are doing are trying to smooth the permitting and review process, for instance, have things done in parallel versus in series, which will cut down on review time. The key is to not compromise the impact on human health or the environment by expediting your reviews. And I think that could be done, right? I just make sure enough of consideration goes into the assessment process to do a good job. So that could be one thing, because the sooner you can get to breaking ground and construction, the less costly it'll be because as time goes on and the projects take 10 years to initiate versus five years, you have material increase, you have labor increase. It's just a lot of uncertainty involved, and you have to cover that in your cost estimates. So I think expediting the projects is a step in in the right direction. I think that there are innovations in the field that haven't been embraced so fully yet but can make a difference. For instance, if you're looking at life cycle cost, Let's take a bridge, for example. You have a bridge deck, Walt Whitman, Ben Franklin, any of these bridges. The decks cost a lot of money to maintain, right? Repair, replace. There are technologies being developed that will be able to give you a much better understanding on existing conditions of that bridge deck than just the traditional way of visual inspection with some you know, surface uh, technology investigation to where we refer to it as structural health monitoring and non-destructive testing and analysis. And the structural health monitoring tag on it is related to physical condition of us ourselves, right? The difference between an x-ray and an MRI or a CAT scan is pretty significant when you're diagnosing something. Well, in these situations, these technologies will help you do a three-dimensional cut right through that bridge deck and identify where you have the beginnings of cracks on the surface and potholes, but in a much earlier time than the traditional way that we do it now, so that you can intervene earlier, arrest or retard the deterioration at less cost, and extend the life cycle of that 
therefore reducing the life cycle cost. These things are going to come into play because as you're looking to do more with the resources available, you have to spend it more wisely. So if you can determine where I need to spend my money, when I need to spend my money, and how much of it do I need to spend, because now you have a much better understanding of the conditions because of technology, you're going to be able to do more with those resources. So I'm not sure if you just answered the second question, but I know, and you know this as well, that economic development, business growth really occurs when we invest in our infrastructure. Sometimes it's physical infrastructure, sometimes it's job creation, it's training, it's workforce development, different kinds of infrastructure. And it would be really interesting to hear about how the engineering industry and firms like Pannoni are evolving using technology that is helping our transportation infrastructure, which ultimately results in renewed economic growth and business development in any community, but especially here in greater Philadelphia. Well, if you look at city of Camden as an example, they're getting billions of dollars in investment starting on the waterfront, but working its way back to uh, the hospital, Cooper Hospital. And a lot of those investments are in infrastructure, which stimulate growth. And the key challenge there is going to be the number of people that will now be employed and live in that core of Camden, the ones that don't live there, getting them and services in and out of that region is is a challenge, but very doable with the proper effort of study, develop alternatives, be it bikeways, public transit enhancement, flexible work hours so that people are coming and going at different times. There are smart center technologies to direct traffic through a transportation management center. So you could use these technologies, these sensors, these advancements, audiovisual tools in order to move people in and out and goods, delivery service in and out most effectively. So you're, you're mitigating the congestion that could occur from this big influx of people, which is fantastic with the number of jobs that are going to be created there. The renaissance of Camden is, is happening. It's major. Yeah, it's absolutely. Major, and yeah, it's happening. transformative. Yeah. And to do some of the things you were referencing and doing it in a way that's very cost efficient as well is really key. Absolutely. And, you know, also look at the multimodal transportation capabilities there. You have the roads in and out. You have transit in and out. You have the water there. There are things that could be done to integrate the advantages of all of those and smooth out a lot of the issues that otherwise may stifle people wanting to go in and out of Camden. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about talent, especially in the greater Philadelphia region and specifically engineering talent. We have great institutions of higher learning, Penn, your alma mater, Villanova and Drexel and and many others, University of Delaware, Rowan and Temple have really exquisite programs. And we're actually seeing some of that training, if you will, starting even earlier with the STEM academies. And I'd appreciate your view on the talent pool that we have in greater Philadelphia in the engineering space, how it's evolving, what you're seeing as you're attracting young people into Pannoni, and what you think the future's holding. Well, I meet with a lot of our collegial competitors with whom we often team on large projects, and there's almost a commiseration of how we can't find people and we have to kind of hire them away from each other. Uh, That happens, but the effort to interest young people to a greater extent in careers in engineering 
is going on. It's not an easy sell, in a sense, because it's not an easy curriculum to follow or to be involved with, right? Very challenging, yeah. Very challenging. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I know a fellow who spoke before a group of engineers. He became an attorney, and he said he started out in engineering, but his problem was he had three strikes against him. He didn't like physics, and he wasn't good at math. <laughs> so he was right. <laughs> but uh, but the, the thing I see with our young people, let's take our young people at Pannoni. They are so turned on to working on infrastructure projects because they know these projects, when they come to fruition and are built, will have a positive impact on people's lives, on the environment, right? They have a real big picture. They understand the big picture because we shine the light on it to them. I said, you know, if you come to work every day because you have to, you may as well enjoy what you do and with whom you're doing it, but also get gratification out of your daily work is impacting communities significantly because these projects wouldn't be going into place unless a water system was going to improve the community, a road was going to help the community, a building was going to provide new space for a community. So the impact we have on people in infrastructure engineering is a one-to-one relationship, right? And I think that makes a difference to me, and I, I know it does to my colleagues because they take pride in what they do and knowing the positive impact on people's lives that their skills and their work has. That's a really great perspective to have because, again, I, I don't think the average observer steps back and looks through that lens until the water stops flowing or the electricity goes off or the highway has a crack or a gas line blows up or you know the infrastructure has a crack in it in some sort, literally and figuratively. If the Phillies ballpark is two feet underwater, they'll know. Absolutely. <laughs> How hard is it to attract talent to greater Philadelphia? Well, I think young talent, it's getting a buzz here. I mean, the people that work at Pannoni, the millennials that I interface with, uh, they enjoy living here. They um, enjoy volunteering because, uh, you know, some of them I've had as my guests to charitable function in the evening for great causes, and they relish the opportunity to be involved and are very proud that their work at Pannoni, as I point out to them, allows us to be able to support these great organizations. They volunteer. In fact, my colleagues for several years now have volunteered at Chester Arthur Middle School. The American Society of Civil Engineers, their STEM is reaching down into universities and below. So they created this ASCE club program that was intended for high schools, where they give you lesson plans, curriculum, materials to construct bridges, you know, with Legos or connects that you test a failure and the student will study what makes a bridge stand up, all the forces and so on. Mm -hmm. But it's strictly after school Mm -hmm. and it's strictly taught by volunteers in cooperation with the teacher. So my colleagues have been running this program at the only middle school in the United States, Chester Arthur Middle School. And what's gratifying to us is one of the fellows from the first eighth grade class that went through this is now a civil engineering student at a university in Pittsburgh area. And we're so proud that our colleagues helped attract this person to want to be a civil engineer. So he went through high school wanting to be a civil engineer and now is studying civil engineering. And, And those kind of things are what we need to do to have homegrown talent. Our Pannoni colleague who touched that young person's life six years or so ago and exposed that child to 
the nature, if you will, of, of engineering, you know, they had a choice. It's a fit for them or it's not. And clearly this brought out something special in this young person who's now pursuing a career in engineering. That's really impressive. Future Pannoni engineer. We yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but you it. know what's interesting? The ASC at the same time through their STEM initiative produced an IMAX movie called Dream Big. It's playing at the Franklin Institute right now. I, I saw it down at the Air and Space Museum. It's fabulous. And if I'm a young person going into that theater, I'd come out wanting to be an engineer. It's very exciting. It's very future-looking with UAVs, robotics, underwater sensor robots. Mm -hmm. But they all apply to engineering. And what you can do to help solve problems and improve, you know, people's places, environment, right, economy, are significant. Shifting gears on your tone. What excites you right now in greater Philadelphia when it comes to an engineering project that's on the horizon? Well, in the Philadelphia region, Camden is a fantastic opportunity to build something on a blank canvas. And being able to apply innovation there, I know, is something that the leadership is doing in Camden, and we'd love to be part of that. Looking at, in Philadelphia, the Philiport and the expansion of the business and attraction of more commerce here, and then looking at how do we improve even better the transport from the port to the marketplace, right? Either via via rail or truck. The energy hub concept that we have here is significant because of the additional facilities and jobs that will be created here. Keeping that energy from Marcellus here, you know, what happened in, it's interesting, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, for instance, is making a move now to have aluminum manufacturing done there, have other industries developed there. Instead of just shipping your energy out, they want to use more of it at home to upgrade the the benefit mm-hmm. of that energy for job creation, economic development. And, you know, I think that's wise, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that we're looking to replicate here in a sense with keeping as much of that Marcellus shale gas and natural gas liquids here in Pennsylvania, in the region, to create those opportunities for economic development and jobs, training. I mean, when you look at the the potential for lifting up a community with job creation, these are the kind of things that I'm excited about. And I want to build on that for a second, because two come to mind for me as well. In Montgomery County, there's a project that seems to be getting the traction that everybody wants it to get, and that is an extension of a rail line from Norristown to King of Prussia and Valley Forge area. That will allow a young person, a parent, who may work in Philadelphia to easily access their job in Montgomery County in King of Prussia or Valley Forge or Malvern in a much more efficient way. Another that comes to mind that, again, we often take for granted is uh, in Chester County. There's the redevelopment of a uh, an existing but outdated and underutilized train station facility in Coatesville. And when we make that investment of an infrastructure, other clustering effects will happen and businesses will operate around it and housing developments will pop up near that train station. And to your point earlier, it's lifting communities. See, one example that comes to my mind is Collingswood, New Jersey, 
When you look at the whole notion of transit-oriented development with the high-speed line right there in Collingswood, and if you look at the restaurant renaissance in Collingswood, it is fantastic. I know people that come across the river to go to restaurants in Collingswood, New Jersey, whereas 15 years ago, it was sort of a sleepy South Jersey town, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But the way the investment in infrastructure has stimulated that economic growth and that reputation now. It's a restaurant destination. And when you step back and look at it from a big picture, you can actually tie a direct correlation to the renaissance of restaurants and foodie industry, if you will, in Collingswood to the transportation infrastructure that is allowing it to happen. And also, even the residential units that have come up there as well in Collingswood because of the access to Philadelphia from the, the high-speed line, Patco high-speed line, which is a great asset to us. And now I know they're looking to extend that down into Glassboro in order to have that further reach and alleviate congestion on the roadways, which is a great thing to do as well. Tony Bartolomeo. Yes, sir. CEO of Pannoni. Thanks for joining us on Growing Greater Philadelphia. It's been my pleasure, Matt.